0: Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus' presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Today on the podcast, we have special guest Michael Miller from The Upper Room in Dallas, Texas. We're going to be talking about how God's presence transforms lives morning, noon, and night. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Matthew. Thanks, man. It's an honor to be here and to run with the ATD crew. Love you guys and just family from afar and just excited to be on here with you.
0: Yeah, it's awesome to have you. So, you guys, I'm going to. I've got your bio here. You started a prayer meeting in a small upstairs office in downtown Dallas in 2010. And out of that prayer meeting, it says that God birthed an entire movement of worship and prayer. A lot of people are going to know your music and the worship and the sounds and the songs that are coming out of your community. I'm guessing that fewer people know the story and how you guys got to where you are. So, just fill us in, man. What's some of your journey? How did you come to the Lord? How did you end up leading this church in Dallas and this broader movement called Upper Room?
1: Right, man. It's a long story, but the Upper Room story was really the fruit of our our pursuit of the presence of the Lord. For the longest time, I grew up in a fairly conservative denomination, and I, I just, you know, words like the presence of the Lord weren't spoken about. And after giving my life to the Lord in my early 20s, I was still pretty messed up. I had brought a lot into my journey with the Lord and needed freedom, uh, emotional freedom, pretty sexually sexually broken and just needed more and got desperate. And in my pursuit, I would phrase it this way, I met the Holy Spirit. I knew of Him and He was in me, but I I began a relationship with Him and, and that really not only changed my life personally, but then my pursuit in regards to ministry. And so we we started building community around the presence of the Lord, which ultimately led us into the place of prayer. And I started running with Sean Foy. You know Sean in the burn uh, yeah. back in the late aughts, like, like 06, 07, Sean and Kate moved to Dallas and uh, I quit my job. I was on staff at a church. I quit my job, started running with Sean and uh, helping him plant. Burns, which were these just real organic prayer meetings, Uh, mainly on the weekends. We would take 24, 48 hours and just just call the church to come and pray, pray for their city, pray for uh, revival and and host the presence of Jesus. And and during that time, I really caught a vision for community uh, around the presence of the Lord. I had this 2007-ish written Sean and some others an email about what I felt would be in the city of Dallas, an upper room. It was out of the Mark 14 account. I still have the email to this day, September 12th, 2007. And I was just really dreaming as a pastor, what it would look like to plant a church around that tabernacle of David, presence of God, prayer centered community. I had seen houses of prayer in the sense of like as a mission base and then I had served in local churches, but I'd never really seen an expression on a local level where a church was functioning as a church that had a house of prayer, if that makes sense. Um it, yeah. it seemed to me that the prayer movement was so missional oriented that it was hard to to build community around it. Mm. Just because it was, you know, the 24-7 mandate and and the the intercessory missionary lifestyle was gosh man it's amazing the forerunners and what they birthed but but then what does it look like on a local level for us to to build community maybe maybe 24/7 isn't the goal but you had regular prayer and so i was really that was really deep in my heart 2007 and i sent this email about um an upper room in the city of dallas is is where i was living and what i felt like would happen and and life hit and i got married it took took some time off of ministry but when I was feeling the, the promptings to, to go back into full time ministry, I had an invitation from a business owner in downtown Dallas. It was actually the, the uptown Oak Lawn area, which is the homosexual district of Dallas, uh, to start a prayer meeting. He had recently cleared out a back portion of his business. And interestingly enough, he called it an upper room. It was overlooking the city of Dallas and wow, self described by him. And I, I didn't know if I still had that email that I sent to Sean and to the team at the time, which was a group of young adults. But I went back and I found it. And man, sure enough, it was the fulfillment of that email. It was the fulfillment of this like upper room in the city. Uh, It's a man carrying a pitcher of water, introduced to the owner. The owner will show you this large, fully furnished upper room. And I was like, man, I think this could be that. And so just in obedience, we we went and started a, a, a prayer meeting, uh, Passover of 2010, and we thought we would go from Passover to Pentecost. But man, God breathed on those early prayer meetings uh, on Sunday night. Uh, they extended from Sunday night, we put one on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and eventually had them going seven days a week. So there was just a real grace, I think, for us to build community in that context. So that's the quick and dirty, like there's a lot of, in between. Yeah. but 2010, we had an I'm invitation sure. from a business owner. So it was really a marriage of ministry in the marketplace and one of the kind of hardest, darkest, most in need of the gospel areas in our city.
0: Wow. Amazing story. I love that. You just said so much, and I'd, I'd love to maybe unpack some of those phrases in terms that you're using that I know are like so central to who you guys are. And they're so central actually to what ATD is all about as well, because we love the presence of God. We love prayer and we love Tabernacle of David. We love all those things. I know that you guys use the phrase, his presence transforming lives, which I love that. Maybe let's talk about the presence of God a little bit. I mean, God is everywhere, right? (laughs) So what do you mean? What does Upper Room mean when you guys talk about the presence of God? Because you mean more than the fact that sort of God is everywhere, but you mean something more specific. So to you, what is His presence? It's a great
1: question. I think the presence of God is just that. It's, it's the presence of God. And, and I do believe there are measures, if you will, of, of the presence. Like there is the omnipresence, mm-hmm. which you know David mentions in Psalms 139, I can go to the highest highs and you're there. I can go into the depths of Sheol and you're there. But the same psalmist says in Psalms uh, 51, take not thy presence from me. And so I I think there's a, a knowledge of his nearness. I call the manifest presence or the especially near presence of God. You know, Psalms 132, I think, comes into play here where David made a vow to the Lord that he would build the Lord a resting place. So we call them sacred spaces, sacred places. You know, if you're born again, God lives in you. So there's the in you indwelling, but where two or more are gathered, he says, I'll be with you and so there's also the with you presence john 14 verse 17 says he will be in you and be with you and so i i think mm. it's a both and i think we it as yep. people of god understanding you know the the fruits of the spirit internally understanding the the spirit of revelation internally but then i do think there's cultivating as well an atmosphere where we learn to host the presence of god where we tend to him it's a both and it's a He's omnipresent yes. and he's he's ever present, but he's also especially present. And so we attempted to be—I've called it scientist or students. Students is probably a better word of the presence of God. Like, like what draws him? What does he like? You know, why does it seem he's more near at times than others? And I—I'm not not talking necessarily about feeling because we walk by faith, but you know. Faith is a substance. And so what is that substance? And I I believe that substance is Him. And so many times in environments where the presence of Jesus is is manifesting, the the presence of faith is manifesting. And we cultivate that culture of His presence, which is a culture of faith. And so we've been learning to do that. I think it's been a giant experiment for us for the last 10 years. so we call it kind of a presence forward church. And we use prayer as a means to the person of the presence, which is Jesus. And so that's been the great experiment here. I, I don't know yeah. if that it's a big question, but it is. I don't know if that helps. It's a great kind answer. of the
0: especially near presence, the manifest presence. That's that's the language we use. Yeah, that's so good. And I love that he's in us and he's with us. Both of those, that his omnipresence, there's his manifest presence, but that's personal and individual, but it's also corporate, collective, that he manifests himself among us as well i love that so then my next question if if his presence transforms us right his presence transforming i know you said you're you're still learning you're still students but how do you learn to experience more of god's presence i'm thinking about somebody that might be tuning in and they're saying i don't feel god's presence i don't have a sense of his presence in my personal life maybe we'll go personal first and then we can sort of think about it more in a corporate way but an individual that says, I, "I'm not feeling a lot of God's presence, or don't have a sense of His presence with me." How do we become aware? Maybe is a good question. How do we become more aware of His presence around us? And maybe part of it is we pay attention, right? <laughs> which is what you guys are trying to do, right? You're 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 trying to just notice and stop and pay attention. But yeah, in, any thoughts on someone that maybe is tuning in? You know, I was talking to my daughter last night. I haven't
1: processed this with anyone, so I might as well process it on your podcast uh, <laughs> Right. About- <laughs> About her Sunday morning class yesterday and they were doing an exercise where they would blindfold my, my daughter's tent. She's in fourth grade and, um, the fourth graders at the upper room yesterday, which we can, we can figure out if this is, this is a good exercise or not. They, they would blindfold each child, like each, each student and, and then they would circle them with their friends. And then one of the friends would step near and they were attempting to discern where there was movement without being able to see. Mm. So they were discerning the presence of their friends without actually being able to see them, if that makes sense. And my daughter, Hannah, was, they were using that as a metaphor for understanding the presence of God. And so my daughter, Hannah, had her Bible out in a journal. And the exercise this week from her class was that they were to give thanks because we enter the gates with thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is, is a way we approach the Lord. And once we thank him, we wait for him to respond to our thanks. And then she was going to write down what she felt like the Lord was saying. So she was, she at 10 was learning how to cultivate an awareness of God's presence through this exercise. And I, you know, I think we do things consistently, like my daughter was going to do it in the mornings and the evenings. And so I think, as Brother Lawrence would say, we practice the presence of God. We, yeah. we need to practice engaging the presence of God. And, and Scripture has prescriptions for that. So I mentioned Psalms 100. I think Thanksgiving is so important to not show up empty-handed. So anytime I come before the Lord, um, I want to bring Him something. I want to bring Him an offering of thanks. I want to bring Him an offering of praise. And I think this is actually a really needed revelation in the body of Christ. Uh, we need to... We need to really dissect what we're saying to the Lord as worship leaders, what we're putting in the words of his people to say to him. There's a lot of asking songs. There's a lot of songs that are centered around us. There's, there's a lot that is more intercessory that we would call worship. But I, I really think there's a prescriptive way that we, we should always start out with Thanksgiving. We should enter into high praise. We should move into worship and ultimately we'll get to intercession and asking and the Lord will tend to us. But I think mm-hmm. practicing how we approach Him is important. Practicing how you engage Him, practicing, that that's really important to Him. Um, and I think Scripture informs us how to do that. So we can mm-hmm. flesh that out some more, but that, that would be my initial thought.
0: That's so good. Yeah, I, I love you guys' emphasis on Thanksgiving. I was going to ask you about that because I think that's something really unique and amazing that you guys bring to the body of Christ and to the prayer movement and the present-centered worshiping communities that are influenced by you guys is that value of thanksgiving and the priority of thanksgiving i hadn't planned to ask you this but how did you guys stumble into that was it just psalm 100 no it wasn't psalm
1: 100 it was um so for me personally it was the the origins of of upper room and where we were in the homosexual district in downtown dallas i kind of became known in in the evangel evangelical world as kind of the go-to guy for like this issue, if you were struggling at a relative or theologically we were wrestling through gotcha. the issue of homosexuality, which, you know, has, has so changed in the last 10 years, like just the way it's affected our culture. And then, you know, the, the stance, the church churches have taken. Um, it's just been a topic that has been hard for, I think, leaders to put their arms around. So people were coming and talking to me a lot about it. And so I spent a lot of time in Romans chapter one just a lot of times looking at that text and then specifically where it says they exchange natural relations for unnatural ones where men, you know, pursue men, women, women. But if you go up in that text, so that's probably like Romans 1, 23, 24, right in there. But Romans 1, was the text that hit me because it says, for although they knew God, although they knew God, they did not honor God or give him things. Wow, they didn't honor him or give him things. And it says, so God gave them over and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, you know, and then a litany of sins. Like homosexuals, one of probably, I think it's 32 different things mentioned, lying to parents. You know, Paul at one point, he's listing all these things off. He's just like, you know, the, they're going to invent ways to do evil. Like yeah. he just kind of lumps it all into this one category, like, sin is the result of this. But I felt like the Lord said, go back to Romans 121, go back to what they did not do. For although they knew me, they did not honor me nor give me thanks. And I I felt like Thanksgiving was a little hinge Mm. that would either open or shut the door of heaven. And so, you know, although we know God, do we honor Him and do we give Him thanks regularly? And I'm like, I'm looking at myself and looking at the community I was in. And so I thought, well, let's just start here. Instead of looking at homosexuality and looking at, you know, these issues that need to be addressed, they truly do. But what if we, we came back and we participated in this activity of giving him thanks and honoring him? You know, what would that do? What would that create? And so that's kind of how I, we stumbled upon it. it it's interesting in, in Revelation chapter four, that same phrase, honor and give thanks, is mentioned and it's, I believe it's the elders that are next mm. to the four living creatures. Um, next to the throne, it says that they give him honor and thanks and glory and power and all these other things, but honor wow. and thanks is yeah. mentioned. And I think it's a right response to the Lord. I think Thanksgiving yeah. is a right response to truly seeing him, whether I feel it or not. And so we usually thank him until our hearts start to burn for him. Yeah. Thanksgiving is kind of a, a kickstart for the heart. And so it's not just, you know, liturgical that we just thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But we Thank him until our hearts start to connect to our words, our hearts start to connect to our thoughts. And that's when the prayer meeting in our world really begins when faith hits the offering of thanks.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I didn't know that story and I'm glad I asked. I hadn't planned on asking, but that's, that's really awesome. Romans one. That's amazing. And to me, Thanksgiving you know helps us become aware of God's presence because it's it's recognizing right we we stop and we ponder and we reflect and we realize well God's been with us he's with us now he's been involved in the entire journey of our lives yeah. and then it helps us to we go wow well, God's been there and we go wow God is with us and it helps us to be sensitized to yeah. his presence with us
1: i think it's psalms 90 psalms 90 like verse 2 it says to come before his presence with thanksgiving so, there's a real connection to coming before the presence and the act of giving thanks. So, it's Psalms 92. 92.
0: I'll yeah. Come before the presence with thanksgiving. Amazing. Good. Thanksgiving. So, I think that would, you know, my earlier question about how do we experience more of God's presence. I think that's, to me, that's so, so practical, but so powerful. Give thanks <laughs> intentionally. Make that a part of your prayer life. Make that a part of your, you know, corporate worship times. If you're a worship leader or gathering with your family, leading your family in devotions, you know, engage in thanks. Stop and reflect and see where God's been active in your life. And that's going to lead you into his presence with us right now. So good, man. And anything else you can think of in terms of just how you guys are finding, I mean, you guys are students, I know, scientists or (laughs) however you said it, Uh. of the presence of God. Is, I know it's not a formula, and that's the challenge sometimes, I think, in talking about it, is you want to know, how do we come into God's presence? And then part of that is you just kind of have to learn it yourself because it's a relationship. But anything else you could share that maybe you guys have gleaned or some things you're learning about, how do we host the presence of God Other in addition to Thanksgiving?
1: Yeah, I I think a really important one for us, and again, we're learning something new every day, so this is this is an ongoing experiment, but... I yeah. think our our pre-briefs and debriefs are so important. Because mm-hmm. we're 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 talking about doing it together. It, it's not it's not an individual sport. It's it's something that we're doing as a team. And so there's anywhere from two to twelve people on a team. And so one connecting relationally before, just connecting our hearts, connecting our lives, uh and a pre-brief, which is 30 minutes before a set. But then after a set, we will really walk through the various moves they took place in a two-hour prayer set. So we'll mm. walk through uh, the, the time of giving thanks. We'll walk through why people sang certain things and prayed certain things. And, you know, was there unity in that set? Was there faith in that set? What was their faith for? You know, was there submission to one another? When I started praying this prayer, were you submitted to what I was praying, were you really listening? Were you encountering what I was encountering? Uh, because sometimes in our teams, you know, we we tend to, well, if you're praying this, I'm gonna sing this next song or I'm gonna take a break. And, and oftentimes what one person brings, you know, that their heart's burning for, that they're releasing in faith, it has the potential to connect your heart and then it puts you in the place of faith to lead. And so we mm. talk a lot about mutual submission. We talk a lot about Learning who's on point and who's really feeling the prompting and unction of the Spirit and submitting to that. I mean, there, there's nuances to it. Like we have a we have a prayer model that goes, we call it TWI—Thanksgiving Worship and Intercession—and there's three main moves. But you know how we get to those moves is really important as a team. That it's it's done in relationship with one another, but it's also done by allowing the Holy Spirit to highlight certain things, to highlight certain things along the journey together. And are we acknowledging that? Are we submitting to it as he highlights those things? So there's a lot to talk about in that, but I think the debrief has been crucial for us as teams to grow in a mature expression of this. And and God honors prayer. Like, man, if you're praying, golly, showing up is the win. Like just creating space where people can pray is the win. But I think we're talking about maturing in our expressions Mm. of responding to the presence of God. And I think it's not a formula. He's a person. And so, you know, I can study romance books and grow in my understanding of romance, but romance is an art. I take my wife on on a date. She's a person. I need to know her intimately. I need to know what she likes. I need to know what kind of mood she's in and all that. And so the Lord's the same way. Uh, I think it's an art less than a science. I, I really think it's something that, that we grow in understanding how to set the table for him, how to Mm. host him as a guest. And then when he shows up to allow him to be the host, you know, like there's that intimate connection and dance that we do as a team with a living person that
0: is the Holy Spirit. That's so good. I love that. We host him until he comes and then he becomes the host. That's so good. Yeah. I love that. He's the guest
1: of honor. But when he shows up, man, he's he's the leader.
0: He's (laughs) the host. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Awesome, man. Well, again, his presence transforming lives. Uh, I would imagine as you guys are learning to host the presence of God over these 10, 12 years now, you guys are probably seeing some of that transformation (laughs) happening in people's lives. So just wondering over, over the course of your journey with Upper Room, whether it's in the early days or now, do you have any stories or testimonies of things that God's done that really stick out to you as the impact as you guys are hosting the presence of God. I know you're not worshiping primarily to get something, but I know that as we spend time in God's presence, things change and he does what he always does, which is to make things more like heaven on earth. So what are some of the things you guys have seen over the years or anything that sticks out? Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart Interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there.
1: Yeah, I think the the most common testimony that we see because of, again, the context our church is planted, it's urban, uh, post-Christian context. A lot of young millennials have left the suburbs, left their home, and moved into a downtown urban context, and many of them left their faith. They left, you know, the Jesus that they grew up with in an environment where the presence of Jesus is central. I would call it a culture almost of the presence. Mm. When they come into that environment, um, it has been amazing to watch them get reintroduced to a Jesus they attempted to leave. So many moments where parents have come to the upper room and they are so weirded out. Like we worship for an hour. There's dancers. There's sometimes flags. Yeah, You know, just it's, it's very expressive, very expressive. And so a lot of parents are extremely uncomfortable in that environment but they're watching their backslidden son or daughter weep as they sing songs to Jesus mm. and they're saying they're saying I, I you know I I don't know what's taking place here I don't fully understand it all but I see the fruit of it in my son or my daughter and and I always get to tell parents like like this is this is the seeds that you've planted growing in their life. It may look different. <laughs> it may not be, you know, in, in the traditional way that you raise them, but this is that seed being expressed. And, and so for them to be able to connect, you know, their roots to what now the kid is expressing and growing in and now they're coming to our school or spending time in the prayer room, that, that's so rewarding uh, to me. Um, and I think it's the harvest, just a lot of people that have attempted to deconstruct Jesus or deconstruct the church or attempt to leave their faith. We're watching a lot of those hearts, man, come alive in in, in new ways. And I, I just I just think God is really captivating millennials. And then we're seeing a harvest of Gen Z right now. Like mm. Gen Z is on fire for Jesus, man. They are nice. I think they are one of the most radical generations I've seen. I'm I'm 45. But man, some of these Gen Z kids—they are sharing their faith daily. Yeah. Wow! It is crazy how missionally driven, how missional they are, how cause-oriented they are. Yeah. Would, would be a good way to put it. Yes. So those are—it's—it's it's the youngsters that got me burned. And we—I could share testimonies about um, the homosexual community. I've, I've married a, a, a lot of men who are formerly in the lifestyle. I've seen them marry women. And, you know, get restored in their sexuality, fall in love with a a woman. And now they have kids and families. And it's just been awesome to watch what the Lord has done in those regards. Yeah. But the most exciting thing is the young millennials and Gen Zers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can tell it's near to your heart. I I can hear you getting emotional about it, even as you share. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, we saw it last night. I was thinking of a specific young adult that came to Jesus last night. Come on. He, yeah. he hates church. That yeah. was his words. I hate church. and like, you're in one. And he's like, I hate church. And, you know, Bob, Bob Hazlett gave us a word who amazing prophetic voice. But he said, yeah. he said, you're going to, this is in the earlier days of the upper room. He said, you're going to make church not a dirty word anymore. And I think for a lot of young people, church has, has had a kind of a, they've had a tainted view towards it. And, and that words being redeemed in their minds and hearts, just seeing the, power of what it's like to be a part of a
0: local church. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I just confirm what you see in Gen Z and the hunger that they have. There's a 17-year-old here where we are that invited me. He and some of his friends, they just got 20 or 30 of their friends together in a house fr- this past Friday night, and they said, we just want to worship. And they just got together and just worshiped their heart outs for a couple of hours, just you know, 17, 18, 16-year-olds. I'm like, this is this is incredible. There's something in the heart of Gen Z that's just hungry and and zealous that's really cool. Wow. It's really, really encouraging to me. Yeah. I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'm curious. I'd love to talk about David. I saw on your Instagram that you guys recently talked about the Davidic covenant, maybe yesterday. <laughs> uh it was. Yeah. It wasn't morning, yesterday right. as we're recording this. Okay. And uh I love David and the Tabernacle of David and, and that, and I know that you guys have been inspired by David and his worship, and even the morning, noon, and night thing was something that David established, I know, in his personal life where he sought the Lord morning, noon, and night, and you guys have been inspired by that in your worship. So I would just love to know, how is King David, the Tabernacle of David, even the Davidic covenant, if, you're, if it's fresh in your heart, I'd love to catch what's fresh in your heart on that, but how is that influencing what you guys are doing? There at the upper room.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. I, I, Davidic covenant is, uh, it's a profound reality that is still being fulfilled today. Kind of take a step back. I've been walking our community. We have these young millennials, and I, I felt like the Lord really wants, wants them to be equipped theologically just mm. to understand Old Testament, New Testament, how it relates. And so we've been walking through the major covenants, just seeing them as the backbone to the, you know, to the biblical narrative, got to know the the old covenants to understand the new. And then ultimately that it's unto the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is is still going to fulfill his covenant to the Jewish people. Uh, We've been really passionate about Israel. And so the plan of redemption is the phrase that I've used. And so we looked at the Davidic covenant yesterday, uh, which is second Samuel chapter seven, you know, David's king, He's at rest from his enemies. Someone built him a home, and he now has this desire to build the Lord a home. And Nathan says, Do all that's in your heart. And then that night the Lord comes to Nathan and and basically tells David, No, you can't do it. And we talked at length last night about sometimes God's nos set us up for God's yes. And his no's are as important as his yes. And so David didn't get to build God. A house, but it led to God making covenant with David that I will give you a house, a kingdom, and a throne that will be established forever. That's Second hmm. Samuel seven sixteen, and that's the covenant. Um, I will give you a, a house, a kingdom, and a throne, and I will establish it forever. And how Jesus, Jesus ultimately fulfilled that for David, being in his line, but that Jesus. Jesus ultimately will fulfill that with David in the millennial kingdom. Mm. The house of David, the throne of David, and the kingdom of David will be established through the reign of Jesus in the age to come. And so uh, to me, it sets up the Maranatha cry that the spirit, I think, is awakening in the bride, which is, you know, come Lord Jesus. That when we see these promises that he's made, that He he's not only going to be faithful to his promises to us. Mm. That We can be secure in that, but he's going to be faithful to his promises today, but he's going to be faithful to his promises to the people of Israel, uh, to the land that's promised to them. Uh, so just, just tying those two, the end time narrative is really important. I think in this age that we're in and the season that we're in, um, I believe we're on the cusp of the end times. And so understanding how the end times is more than just the book of Revelation. Uh, the end times starts in Genesis. Yeah, Uh, Genesis three fifteen, the seed prophecy about the two seeds. You know, ultimately that's going to be fulfilled in Revelation twenty two when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. And so, just to see the plan of redemption unfolding through all these covenants and ages, but ultimately, as we grow in understanding, we get to partner with the Lord as forerunners uh, for His return. And so, the Davidic covenant is about the second coming. It's about the coming reign of Jesus, and so to tie Second Samuel seven to the Book of Revelation, I think is really, really important.
0: Wow! Yeah, you just said a lot. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> I know, man. I, I'm like I'm like a fire hose right now when it comes to so good. To, there's it's a big enchilada to to tackle, but you know, Jesus said this in Revelation seven Matthew, and I'd love your take on this. Yeah, but one of the one of the dimensions of the kingdom of David is the key of David. Mm. Isaiah yeah. 22 22 prophesies that the key of David will be on his shoulder, speaking of a, a ruler in, in Israel. But Revelation 3 7, Jesus says, I am holy one, I am true. And then he says, I, I hold the key of David. Jesus holds the key of David. And so we, we looked at that last night, but I'd be interested in your understanding of the key of David when we think about the covenant that God made with David, that there is a key of David that is spoken of twice in scripture, but one of them is Jesus holding the key of David as he's talking to the church of Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, I don't have a lot of insight into the key of David <laughs> other, th- other than my understanding is that the key obviously uh, has something to do with opening a door, which seems to mean some kind of authority that Jesus has. You know, the, I think in Isaiah's context, it was that the Messiah would would have the key of David and he ha- he would be able to open and close. He would have the authority, the leadership, of the kingdom mm-hmm. of, of God that, of course, was promised in Scripture, um, and then in Revelation we see, hey, that's Jesus. <laughs> he is yeah. the Messiah. He's the one Isaiah was pointing to that w- would have the key of David, which is that Davidic kingdom that was promised uh, in Second Samuel seven. And uh, so, I, I don't have much more insight into it than yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, but I that, think that's.
1: <laughs> I think that's beautiful. I think. I think it's. Uh... You know the loosening and binding in both both scriptures, it talks about what he will open what no man can close and it will shut what no man can open. Yeah. Um, just the authority that that is given in that. And I, I think of Matthew 16 when Jesus right. says, I give you keys of the kingdom. Right. Um what you loosen on earth will be loosened, what you bound will be bound, and just that that concept of of the authority to release the kingdom of God on the earth that right. uh, we've been commissioned to do. So Anyways, yeah. big topic, but yeah, that, that Second <laughs> Samuel 7 is, I think, a vital chapter for the church to understand right. um, just the covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant, which ties to the Mosaic covenant, which ties to the Abrahamic covenant. Those are so, so important for us to to really understand.
0: Yeah, it's so good. And there's you mentioned Psalm 132 earlier, which is one of my favorite psalms, and you see the sa- some of the same idea in there. If you look at kind of the first half of that psalm, it's David. You know his vow to the Lord, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for God. But then the second half of the psalm is actually God's covenant. It's his promise, his vow to David. And that's when it rehashes basically the Davidic covenant at the end of Psalm 132. And kind of David saying, God, I want to make a place for you. And God's saying, well, that's a good cry. That's a good desire. You want my presence, but I'm going to do it. Jesus is ultimately the one who has done it and will do it when he returns that he will bring that kingdom and that house and he will you know, bring all these things together, all these promises and all this longing, um, all this stuff that's been building in that big narrative that you're talking about, that ultimately Jesus is the one that's gonna do that. God's gonna do it. It's his zeal yeah. for his house. yeah, And that he's the one that's gonna, gonna see all these things completed.
1: Yeah, I would encourage leaders that are listening. We're doing this as a, we have a teaching team. There's probably 10 of us on it. Uh, from our various campuses here. We're in DFW in Dallas. But we've been, uh, this will be week seven, we've been walking through Psalms 132, just been taking it line by line and really getting our roots as a team deep into the vow that David made with God and then God's response to that. And it has been so insightful. It has been so unifying for us as a team to really really dig deep into that vow and then collectively as leaders to make that vow together. Mm -hmm. Lord, we we want to give ourselves, we want to give our strength, we want to give our energies to creating a resting place for you. I think it's a really powerful chapter for teams to really gather around, to set before their hearts and to set before their communities. Because I do think a grace falls upon that pursuit and you see the grace that fell upon David based on the vow that he made Probably as a young man, it was kind of what gave David the ability to be David, to show up and slay Goliath, to ultimately be anointed king. It's really just a powerful, powerful
0: chapter. Yeah, so good. And I know that for Awaken the Dawn, it's been an important chapter from the beginning. It's actually how David, one of the main ways that David Bradshaw and I connected was over Psalm 132. Yeah, and you've got a David leading you guys. Yeah, exactly. My middle wow. name is also David, so Oh, that's it, good. It works out well. That's amazing. But, you know, just just one other comment on the Davidic covenant. It's so helpful to think about these big picture ideas in the scripture, this kind of big narrative, the return of Christ, the covenants, all these kinds of things because so many times we think of God's faithfulness like you said in terms of his faithfulness to us and our individual promises that we've received or our own personal callings or breakthrough that's coming we think of it as sort of our circumstances changing and and all those things happen but it, it changes how you think about his faithfulness it changes how you think about when you sing a line in a song about what god's going to accomplish and how he's going to bring a breakthrough and it's not just what he's going to do for my life you start thinking about these big themes about like whoa it's going to be his faithfulness to abraham's the promise he made to abraham and david and all these guys throughout history and we're swept up and caught up and grafted into all of that and that big picture and like he's going to help our lives, but also there's like a, a capital B breakthrough coming you know and uh, yes. and the, the macro level you know stuff that God is doing his faithfulness and I think it's so helpful that we to, to keep us from becoming too self-centered or, or self-focused when we think of some of these things and we sing some of these lines and some of these songs so Anyway, that was on my heart, so I just wanted to mention that too.
1: No, that's beautiful. It is. It is easy to, uh, yeah, to get over ourselves. That's the key. Yeah, I think. I think that's what we're all learning to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For sure. Well, also, hey, Michael, I know we're running out of time. Any kind of like, like closing thoughts, their encouragement you might want to leave with. Awaken the dawn and our movement.
1: You guys are forerunners. Like I just want to encourage those listening, that they're not alone. There's a lot of people contending for what they're contending for. And I think sometimes per what you were just talking about, it's sometimes hard to see beyond our reality. And for those that maybe they're not seeing, you know, a ton of millennials or Gen Zers come to the Lord, just to hang in there, to stay steadfast in this hour. I I think steadfast endurance, perseverance, I just want to encourage them that they're not alone and to mature in the, I think if anything, trust in the grace. That was a word that as I was praying about this podcast, I felt like Mm. the Lord said, trust in grace, trust in the grace that God has given you in your current season. Trust in the grace, access the grace that's available today, if it's not available today, then grace, it's all for grace. So like, oh, I had a mentor tell me one time, he said, grace doesn't come on a prepaid card. Like you can't just swipe situations and say, oh, there's, you know, throw grace at it. Grace comes when you need it. And so if you don't have it, you don't need it. And just to trust mm. in the grace that he supplied to you in this season, for it is unto something. It's unto something glorious. It's unto something beautiful. And as you're faithful, with the grace that he's supplied to you in this season, it will position you for the coming grace, it will position you for the coming breakthrough and coming thing that he's called you to, but just not to grow weary and sowing, not to grow weary and lose heart in the momentary light afflictions that people are facing. I just felt there would be people listening to this that, you know, are hanging by a thread, and, and I just want them. Do not put their confidence in their own strength, to not put their confidence in what they see, what they know, but by faith, access the grace that's available to them in this season. I feel like God is, is going to bestow grace upon you to sustain you unto the breakthrough and unto the promise. I, I think there's a lot of young people that are living for promises. God's spoken about their destinies. You know, God's spoken about the great things that are to come, but then He buries us, you know? He hides us. He plants us in prayer rooms. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in an empty room. And I want Mm. them to know that it is a graveyard and they can beautifully die and that God's going to work. He does his best work with dead things and he's looking for them to die in that place. And he's going to bestow grace and life and breakthrough and blessing because he did not lie about those promises. They're true sometimes the process to get there is different than we imagined it takes sometimes quote-unquote longer and just to wait on the lord to wait on the coming grace I, I really felt a burden for a few leaders getting on this call that the lord was saying trust in grace mm. so
0: crucial amazing word so good michael thank you this has been excellent so much to glean from from our conversation today
1: i hope so matthew man i i have such respect for you I, I know you. You recently wrote a book, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I wrote a book on the Tabernacle of David.
1: Yes, called David's Tabernacle. Tabernacle. Like, was it? Is it last year? Did it come out? That's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, last Last year. year. Okay.
1: I just want to thank you for that book, man. It's a great resource. Thank you. I have it on my bookshelf and have have read it, and it's such a needed topic. So I'm so grateful that you took time to to put that revelation on paper. It is so needed and much appreciated, man. I'm so grateful for it.
0: Oh man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that encouragement. (laughs) Michael, this has been great. Thank you for being on the podcast, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.